The race to 5G is on, and the battle for talent is getting fierce. Welcome to 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, a podcast dedicated to helping you face the future workforce head on. Navigate this challenging talent landscape with innovative strategies to attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. Only here on 5G Talent Talk with Carrie Charles, CEO of Broadstaff Talent Solutions. And thank you for joining me today on 5G Talent Talk. My name is Carrie Charles, and I am your host. I've got a phenomenal episode ahead for you. I have a wonderful guest. His name is Dwayne Allen. He is the Chief Technology Officer and Senior Vice President at Unisys. Dwayne, thanks for joining me today. I'm excited about this interview. Carrie, I must reciprocate and say thank you. I'm really excited to be here and be a part of your program. Looking forward to it. So, Dwayne, tell me a little bit about how you got in the seat that you're in today. And I know you have worked in so many countries and I've just done so many things. So tell me a little bit about your journey. Sure. I'll tell you a little bit about the journey. Uh, so coming out of college, I started my career in IT at Marriott, the hotel company, and probably an even split between the restaurant group and, and hotels group. And I think that was that early indicator for me in terms of how IT and data processing and computer science, as we called it back then, could really make a difference in business. When you're in doing programs in college, it's about completing it and compiling it and getting a grade from your professor. But you really didn't get a sense of the outcome or input uh, impacts it could have until I started working in the workplace. So I started my career at Marriott, worked there over a decade. Tremendous place to start your career. You get a service orientation. Bill Marriott calls it the spirit to serve. And being in the IT profession, which I often tell people when I'm speaking at colleges and universities, that I just don't think there's a greater profession. So that's where I got started. From there, I switched industries and went to Charlotte, North Carolina. By the way, Marriott was in Washington, D.C. Then I went to Charlotte, North Carolina and worked for Wachovia. And I split that time there between being CIO in the retail space, leading a branch transformation and then heading up corporate services, which a prominent aspect of that was risk management, which was right after 9-11. So at that time, Wachovia was one of the fourth largest banks in the nation. A lot going on with Patriot Act, know your customer and all that type of thing. Uh, And then again, what I learned there was the need to be an advocate and sell the possibilities that could come about because of uh, IT and information technology. The branch network there at the time was 2,200 branches from Miami to Connecticut. And upgrading the network and the branch platform was pretty sizable investment at the time. So I had to learn how to sell and what I call speak the language of the business. From there, I went to Fifth Third in Cincinnati, Ohio. There I was responsible for risk management and also led acquisitions full-time for them. And that was kind of exciting because Banks go through those periods, and I led three acquisitions in one year that grew the bank by 10%. So that was a lot of intensity, but growth and fun. So after five-plus years there, I switched industries again. So if you're catching on, there's a theme here. So now I'm in my third industry, and that's where I went to Cummins, which is a global engine and manufacturing company. And that's where I really got a lot of global experience. Most of that was spent as CIO, their component segment. And that's like a $6 billion segment, almost a mini Fortune 500 company. So 75 sites, 13 countries, and a variety and five businesses within that segment. And that's where I really start to understand global delivery, global complexity, how to understand different cultures, customs, rules, laws to really be effective. 
And then from there, I came to Tampa, Florida to be CIO of Masonite, which is a building products company, primarily doors. And I was there for several years. And then I switched to my fourth industry. And ironically, this time I went to the other side of the table. So I spent, if you do the math, a long time on the business side. Then I went to Microsoft. And that was a tremendous opportunity as well, because in that role, it was a pretty much boutique group set up inside the company, set by the vision by Satya Nadella to create a different engagement model with their largest clients. So I worked with some of the largest clients around the world, helping them reimagine their future, digital transformation, cloud. And I worked with companies in manufacturing, healthcare, pharmaceutical, oil and gas, and was actually having a ball there. And then I got contacted about this opportunity at Unisys, where I am now as CTO and Senior Vice President. And I talked a little bit how we're a global software and solutions company. But what really excited me to come here is it's an opportunity to make a difference. And I'm sure we'll talk about this, but we're in the midst of a pretty exciting and compelling transformation. So that's, you talk about what got me to the seat. I think some of it is the combination of these experiences and a little bit of your own personal DNA and makeup. And what I'd say is intellectually curious. So that drives kind of fresh thinking and innovation and doing new things and the interest in going to different industries and so forth. I think being collaborative is important because you need buy-in. You need a team to buy in because if you can't get a team to deliver your vision, you're really not going to be that successful. And then being business-oriented, you need to understand the strategy and be aligned with where the business is going to help them be successful. Then, of course, you need a little drive because everything needs a schedule. I've yet to see a CEO, business partner, or client say, take your time. Whenever you can get it done, that's fine. So there's always that pressure, particularly in competitive industries. And so all that comes together to say when you find the right fit of culture, values, and chemistry with the things I've talked about, you land yourself in the ideal role. And I think I'm in one of those right now. Mm. So talk a little bit more about Unisys, the solutions, services, and the clients you serve. Sure. So Unisys is the global technology services and solutions company. We help clients get uh, deliver exciting outcomes moving forward. We're a couple billion dollars, and we have over 900 clients around the world in commercial and public sectors. That includes local governments, financial services, healthcare and life sciences, travel and transportation, communications, retail, manufacturing, and higher education. We have an over 90% client renewal rate, so there's a long, rich, successful history we've got here. Remind me, if we get at the end, to tell you a little bit about my job coming out of college and how it ties to this our role now, if we get to that. A little bit of a teaser. So we are organized in four primary areas around solutions we deliver for our clients. So there's digital workplace solutions, which is around transforming the digital workplace and end user experience. And you can imagine that's a big hot topic area in an area of differentiation now because of what's going on with hybrid remote work and things of that nature. The other area is cloud and infrastructure services, and that's helping drive modern technology platforms and cloud applications for clients. Then there's enterprise computing solutions, which is enabling digital services through software-defined operating environments for our clients. And finally, there's business process solutions. And the key principle there is helping our clients transform processes to react to market demands around the world. Mm -hmm. We also have strategic alliance partnerships with Amazon, Google, Microsoft, Dell, and ServiceNow. So a fully comprehensive global IT services and solutions company. So you said that you were in the midst of a transformation. 
Can you talk about the why behind that and where were you and where are you going? Great question. And that's also one of the reasons I'm here. So we were initially organized geographically. We had a lot of products and services and we were organized geographically. And what we did is we redesigned the company and transformed. And we're now aligned around the businesses I shared with you earlier. But if you think about it, that's where you want to be because now we're designed around services and solutions for clients. We can now focus on domain expertise and build up capabilities and be clear about how we can transfer solutions from one to the other or repurpose outcomes for clients without brand new development all the time. This then enabled us to expand our business focus and select growing markets with attractive margins. And we talked about one of them already. We talked about digital workplace solutions. And that's where we're a top 10 player already in a globally fragmented market. And there, there's plenty of opportunity, demand, and need for differentiated and measurable outcomes as the work environment changes and the end user experience changes and demands change. So that's one of the key areas. And the other one's cloud and infrastructure services. And I mentioned earlier that we have this history with the public sector. That's a complex, highly regulated area. So to be able to transform and deliver outcomes via the clouds, I think a differentiator there and a niche that I think we know pretty well. So we want to leverage our experience there and then help build to build end-to-end value chains for our clients. In addition to that, we've been expanding. So one, we reorganized that created a brand new structure and also created the need for the role that I have here. The CTO role has been around for a while, but it got refined a little bit with the way we positioned in this new structure. But we've also been expanding. We did three acquisitions. Now we did we do them last year. We did them in the second half of last year. So that's some exciting uh, opportunities for us. Well, we did two in the digital workplace services area and a pretty significant one in the cloud space. So with the transformation, the new business strategy, I think we're really myopically and refined focused around clients and how we go to market, how we deliver, how we sell how we innovate, how we ideate, and how we help them imagine a new future and a more exciting outcome. Hmm. So you have a very unique role as CTO. Can you talk a little bit more about that and and really what excites you about your role? So I'll do the first part because the exciting part is easy. (laughs) So one, I report to the CEO, so I'm part of his leadership team. What's interesting about this role is the primary focus is solution innovation architecture and for solutions. So from a domain responsibility, I have responsibility for architectural standards. I've got the assessment of those standards because it's really important as you break out to this new business structure that you don't become so customized and customer-centric to a fault where you're not building in structures where you can scale without accelerating costs. I've got innovation, which is an exciting area, which I'm sure we're going to talk about more. And then I've also got intellectual property and patents. So the responsibilities are are exciting already. If you think about where the company is going with the transformation that I talked about, what's great about this role is it's an opportunity to truly have a meaningful impact on the future of the company. It's an opportunity to help us drive a fresh innovation narrative because we've already got a rich history of innovation, but now we can take that forward. We can help attract, excite existing clients and attract new ones. What further excites me about this role is the alignment and support it gets. So not only do I report to the CEO, I have been a guest on his leadership broadcast to our top three or 400 leaders uh, in the company. And I was a guest within my first 60 days. 
I presented to the board several times, or even now getting involved in client engagements and how we can, can help our sales teams succeed or leverage our network to drive new leads and all of that. So if I summarize it, what's exciting about this role, it's an opportunity to have a meaningful impact on the future of the company. And you don't often get a chance to get on the ground level of a transformation like this. So all those things just get me really excited. Mm, so true. So true. So from your perspective, what are some emerging trends that you're seeing in tech right now and some opportunities in IT services and solutions? Great. So there's a couple of things. One, as it relates to trends, I think we always need to stay rooted and make sure that we're business-based and client-centric. It's all about outcomes. So it's funny, a lot of people talk about going digital. And I say, it's really not digital. It's just how are you doing business? For example, I don't think you say, you know what? I use this digital process to order a book. I think you just say, I went to Amazon. Say, you know, I use this digital process to secure transportation. I just called up an Uber. So I think we want to make sure that as we're looking at these trends, it's how we apply them. What's interesting is I'm part of this Committed Innovators Forum run by McKinsey, and it's 20 of my colleagues around the world who are CTOs and leading uh, innovation. And one of the things that came up is stratifying the difference between invention and innovation. And I think that's important because sometimes innovation is applying the invention to solve a business problem. So what we've got in terms of innovation is a multitude approach. We've got a business and client engagement model where we can look at a bunch of ideas, enrich them, and then work with our sales team to prioritize them. Because my belief is we need to make sure it potentially solves a problem. And if it solves a problem for one client, it'll solve for another one, and they're likely to pay for it, and that's what will be good for the company. We also have a high-tech startup engagement model, so we can engage with tech startups, throw them an idea. And they'll come back and pitch to us, much like the show Shark Tank, if you've seen that on TV. And then back to your question, we've got this emerging technology radar where we look at 60 technologies across a variety of categories from human machine experience to the autonomous world, computing evolution, and so forth. And we stratify them and measure them in categories from watching, emerging, near-term, or immediate. And that's where we focus. Now, to give you some examples of some of the things we're focusing on now, because it's a litany of lists. A couple of things. So in the proactive space, in terms of what can we do to help our clients succeed and transform, we're spending a lot of energy looking at distributed cloud and edge computing so we can bring more robust capabilities to clients. And also, how does that affect the intelligent distributed workload? Another big area is hyper-personalization. So we can apply that and look at the future of work as it continues to evolve. Because as processes continue to mature, personalization, specificity is really important to help drive the outcome. It helps tailor the learning and training and how you use them. Another big one that continues to grow is the artificial intelligence and machine learning, AI and ML. And what we're doing is we're continuing to examine, see how we can elevate intelligence to the forefront of our business, how we can elevate it to our value proposition, client delivery. Also, what's important to us is we also want to make sure we're helping our clients as well as ourselves Use AI in an ethical manner. You've heard a lot in the press about ethical use of AI, making sure you're using it for the good. And that's important for us and also for our clients. That then can feed extensions of using that in areas like IoT. And then also there's content intelligence using knowledge graphs and how to better process unstructured data so we can just get to market quickly. So I could go on and on, but there's a lot of things we're looking at, monitoring and talking to our clients about 
talking to our sales teams, to talk to our clients about to get some feedback that helps us determine what do we want to do with POC on or MVP and eventually get to commercial terms. In addition to that, innovation can also be used for defensive plays. So things like quantum encryption and quantum resistance, cryptographic algorithms become more commonplace. How do we make sure we can continue to ensure the reliability and dependability of our services and performance for our clients? And then there's also executive orders and other regulatory matters that continue to evolve that require the same muscle. You might think regulatory is just compliance and adherence, but at times you need an innovative muscle, if you will, to address some of those things. So there's kind of proactive and defensive plays, and those are some areas we're focusing on. So one of the biggest challenges right now is finding people, right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, there's a war for talent. It's just getting tougher and tougher in tech, in telecom, really in, in every industry throughout the, throughout the country and globally. So what strategies are you using right now that are working or maybe that you're implementing to attract and retain talent? That's a really good question. And I got to tell you, the most important thing we have to understand when we're recruiting talent is that we're recruiting people. So it's important to make sure you're appealing to them in a fashion that's important to them and approach them with a value proposition that's compelling to make so you want to join a company like Unisys. So we've got solutions and we've got a strategy and we've got a tremendous culture, but we've got to make sure we're messaging that appropriately and then we're authentic in how we recruit people. But what's interesting about this question is not only am I giving you a company philosophy, I'm giving you real examples because I have five direct reports and three of which I recruited since I joined Unisys and all three joined within a eight, nine week period. So I was out there recruiting, trying to paint a compelling picture and convince people to consider leaving companies to join Unisys. So I think it's really important to have a external value proposition that is specific, that attracts talent, that paints an exciting future. Because again, speaking of this human element, people want to be a part of something that's successful. And if they think it's a great place where they can be successful and they can thrive, that's what you want to start with. Then you work on the approach. So there's recruiting. We've got a variety of ways we're going to market. We're looking at early career. We're using some of those analytics, AI tools to identify people, recruit them, integrate with job boards. I think the key thing is that the full service effort, there's not one way. You need to have a multi-tiered approach to go after talent in the marketplace because you're right, there's just an outright war. You've got to be responsive. You've got to be intentional. You've got to be fast because particularly some of the younger early career potential hires have a lot of options and don't have a lot of patience. So you got to be quick and intentional and move. And from there, we use a lot of tools to augment our sourcing and targeting, engage in preliminary job recruiting and things of that nature. So a lot going on. That's the attract part of it. There's also retaining people. So as we've got them, so while we are actively recruiting people who are at other companies to join Unisys, guess what? we got people in our company that could be attracted to other outside companies as well. (laughs) So sometimes if you get so focused on one side of the ledger, you lose a focus on the other side. So I've talked to you quite a bit about what we're doing as it relates to uh, recruiting people, but we've got equally as significant an effort on retention. We're strengthening leadership development and career planning, which I think is really important. Sometimes someone joins you and they've been with you a certain number of years and they're not sure where their career is going. 
and speaking to that human element of making sure the work is meaningful, making sure it's attractive, making sure I feel like I can fit and thrive here is really important. And we're looking at things like rotational activities as well. So I'm seeing both of that. I've joined an organization where I've recruited three direct reports. And guess what? Below that, we've recruited people from a variety of companies in my architecture area, in my innovation area, in my assessments area, and even in my uh, planning and engagement area. So there's a lot going on. And the only way you can succeed is with people. We're in a technology industry, but without good people, you can't get there. So that's what's really important. So we're working on both. And I actively can tell you I'm hands-on in all those areas. But I think it's really important. But I am just the microcosm of the company. So our CEO, my other colleagues in the leadership team, we're all doing the same thing. We're diligently but authentically. And I think it's working. So you talked about leadership development, and I know, Dwayne, that you are an exceptional leader yourself. So I would love to hear your approach, your values of leadership, and and some of the strategies that you use with your teams as well. So there's a couple of things. One, I think it's listening. And it's funny because you've been with me long enough to know that I'm an extrovert by nature if you did a Myers-Briggs, but I jokingly call myself a recovering extrovert. So I think one of the key things in communicating is sometimes listening. People want to know where you are. They want to know the vision. They want to know where they're going. But sometimes you need to hear from them. And then later on, they need to hear that what they shared with you is reflective. So in terms of communicating with people, I try to start with listening and then sharing and then engaging. Now, some of the listening is prompted by me opening up. Here's where we're going. I'm the new CTO. Here's the vision. Here's what I'm hearing. Here's what the CEO and leadership team is expecting from us. So you have to start with some of those things as a table state, but to really communicate and connect with the team. I think it involves listening, some sharing and engaging, and then playing it back. Also doing things like skip level reviews, making sure everyone feels like they've got that one-on-one connection with you. The other thing I think is important in communicating with teams, which sometimes we don't do enough of, particularly in the IT space, is talking about the business. What I always say is that the opportunity for success lies in speaking the language of the business. So it's not just about 5G or the cloud or other things you want to do. AI, some of the things I've talked about. It's about what can that do for our clients? How can we make them better? How can we make them more successful, more agile, more profitable? And talking about those things, I find, helps the team help me come up with ideas. Sometimes they come to me with ideas that I don't think they'd come with unless I was talking. And then finally, there needs to be an element of ambition. I think that drives commitment, that drives enthusiasm, that drives passion. You don't want to say, you know, what we're here to do is just get it done. That's not going to really cut it, I don't think. But if you say we're here to make an impact and help the company be successful, then I think that's going to drive people. So I think it's all those things that I try to do to make sure I'm communicating and connecting with people. So people, we've heard this a million times that people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And so how do you make sure that there is consistency in leadership at all levels? Because I know I've talked about this before on podcasts where there's that middle management layer or those new leaders, right? That sometimes people will have challenges with those people and leave the company, right? So Mm -hmm. tell me some of this, you know, because I know a lot of leaders are faced with this now of making sure that all levels of leadership are strong. So how do you achieve that? That's a great question and a challenge that faces the ball. There's a couple things I'd say about that. First, from an execution and mechanics perspective, I think you need to make sure you're interacting at all levels in your organization, 
because if you don't, you're missing an opportunity to coach some of your directs who have staff below them. So I think you got to make sure at all levels that everyone's aligned, everyone feels like the system is working, they're getting good feedback, they're listened to, their opinions matter. So I think that's important. I think some of the things I talked about earlier are important because you want to feel like you're being listened to and respected. And if you got an opinion, you want to be heard. But the other thing I think that's a challenge for many folks who rise up to leadership levels is, for lack of a better term, Carrie, I'll call it amnesia. And I try to remind people that I've spent a good portion of my career in their shoes. So I know what it's like to be reorganized, to do a merger, or to have a new boss come in. Does this person know what they're doing or they're just out you know, selling things without talking to us and so forth? So I think it's important to make sure you're observing, you're listening, and connecting. And you don't know how connected you are unless you keep trying and you got to be intentional about it. If you do kind of a one-time touch base, you could have caught someone in January, things were fine. But by July, they're unhappy and they're looking. So you got to figure out how to have that constant mechanism. And then you got to figure out a way to confirm it. Either confirm, great seeing you, talk to some of your people. Hey, make sure you check in with this person. How are they doing? Get to know them a little bit. Ask questions about things going on either in their personal life or just projects they're working on. Because everyone's different. Not everyone's, you know, is outgoing with some of their personal aspects of their life. But I think it's important to make sure people feel like they are connected and valued but also they're working on things that are important and that they think are going to help their career. Yeah, you know, we're seeing that stay interviews have become so popular now. And you mentioned you might have a conversation with somebody in January, but then by March, they're looking. So what you said that it's so important that you have those ongoing conversations, which it is, because every single person on this call, whether you are on listening right now in the audience, whether you are a leader or no, no matter what your position is in the company, either you are being contacted by companies or recruiters, the people that work for you are being contacted every single day. So I agree with you, Dwayne, that it is important to maintain that consistent communication with a safe place where people can express themselves, right? Correct. That's exactly right. And what's interesting is the larger the, the company you work in, it actually becomes bi-directional because you could worry about people wanting to leave your company for another company, but they could also want to leave to go to another department. And by the way, you don't want to block people. You want to make sure their careers are enriched and so forth. But sometimes they're just kind of running because they think, oh, that's the hot place now. In many cases, I say that's a failure of communication on the leader's part, because if they don't think this is a good place to be, or they don't see that you're connected across the enterprise or whatever it is, it's possibly a missed opportunity. It reminds me, one of my professors, when I got my MBA, made us read his thesis. It was the HR, by the way. And his um, thesis was the arrogance in the term resistance to change. And what he said is that people don't resist change. They actually just resist what they don't understand. Mm. Failure in communication. So same thing. If you really don't understand people, then you're likely to lose them. And understanding comes in different forms. Communicate differently. Not everyone's going to walk in your office and talk like me. It might be a subtle signal. It might be an email. They might say, hey, when you have a minute, can we talk? That might be really important. They might be on the cusp of making a big decision. So making yourself available is also important, which is, by the way, one of the things I'm working on. I was good at it for a while. I've gotten busy and I want to work on that a little bit more because I think it's really important. I think we're all working on that. So that uh, (laughs) great. How do you create an environment where everyone thrives? Mm. That's a really good one. A couple of things come to mind with that. One is everyone can't thrive unless you know everyone. So if you really 
have not taken the opportunity, you've got to get to know your people, their strengths, passions, and so forth, because they might not thrive if they're in a job that you think is good for them and is meeting a need that you have, but it's not that exciting to them. So I think, one, getting to know your people and then matching your people against the needs of the company that's also aligned with an interest and passion of theirs. Then figure out how you leverage the above that I talked about in terms of listening and engaging and so forth. And then honestly, Carrie, then you got to make it exciting and meaningful. Kind of what I said earlier, we're not here just to get it done. This is great. I'm so glad, Carrie, you're taking this role in database administration because optimizing the performance of our data and making it available to customers in an easily and readily available fashion is important to them. And that's why they rely on us. Now, I think I got you in a place that's your niche, but also it's a little exciting and hopefully meaningful to you versus, hey, just keep the database tuned. I'm using a simple example. And then finally, you got to recognize people. I mean, there's nothing worse than, I always say there's nothing worse than working really hard on something that no one cares about. People need to feel recognized and rewarded. And sometimes that's recognition in your town halls. Sometimes that's just an email from me because everyone's a little different. Not everyone wants to get up on stage and get that recognition. It's a full cycle, if you will. So it's knowing your people. Once you get to know them, make sure you're honest with yourself and with them about their strengths and weaknesses and development areas and where they best fit. And make sure that's clearly understood. Because sometimes if you jump too quickly, people would feel like you forced them somewhere. And then give them the opportunity and support to grow and thrive. Make it exciting. Make sure it's meaningful. And then recognize it. Mm. So describe the culture at Unisys. Ooh, great question. That's also one of the What's it like to work there? <laughs> so one, it's a really authentic culture. I'm just talking about people for a second. I'll get to kind of some other description. But when you work with this team, not just my colleagues in the CEO's leadership team, but with other people, it's a really authentic, warm feel. That doesn't mean we're not competitive. It doesn't mean that we don't want to win and so forth. But it's a really, really exciting culture. I would say that We love to debate. We love to make sure we ideate to get the best ideas. And I would probably categorize that as courteous confrontation and debate, which is important. If you don't debate, you don't get the best results. We're definitely about commitment. We want to say what we do, what we say we're going to do, and hold each other accountable for that. And we confront those things in a respectful and courteous and civil way. But I think it's important. It's also a culture that's around helping. If you ask for help, you're going to get it. And sometimes people will offer help. There's several colleagues on the team who frequently check in. How's it going? I know you're new. I've been here a while. If there's anything I can help you with, let me know. And I think that permeates the organization. And then we center ourselves around our core beliefs, which is curiosity, creativity, client centricity, integrity, and inclusiveness. And those things are, are really important. But I find that it's a wonderful culture. People care, people are passionate, people want to win. We want to talk about clients. If there's a bid going on, what can we do to win? How can we be successful? I help you be successful. It's a really good culture. And it's, I've been around this enough that I call it culture values chemistry, but when you're in the right culture, it's almost like self-actualization. It's almost like you're breathing. It's like not always like you're working because you just fit in. And I think it's important to spend time on culture and make sure you're clear on what it is and that you're making sure you're continuing to build on it. And you focus on areas that are maybe detract, detracting away from it. So sometimes it's easy to do it. Again, you and I are probably could trade stories on this. We got our culture, we've laminated it, it's on the wall now. How do you maintain it? Sometimes that's just the entry point. But I, that's how I would describe our culture. 
Yeah. So I know that, you know, collaborate. I mean, I think I implied that, but people really enjoy working together here. It's not a, look, I got this, leave me alone. Like, I've said to people, hey, do you mind if I join? Because again, I've spent so much side of my time on the other side of the table. Do you mind if I join this meeting or if I sit in on a pitch preference? Please come. No one says that we're fine, politely pushing you away. Everyone likes working together, which is great. And it's kind of the way I'm oriented to. So I love that. Dwayne, I think you mentioned to me that you go out to meet clients with your with your sales team. You have a very interactive, close relationship with your sales team as a CTO. Tell me more about that. That's a great question. So there's a couple of things we do with them. One, we get involved in accounts. So there's areas where we want to engage and look at how can we help the account process? Could we work with some of the other executives, help drive other connections and so forth? I mentioned earlier that I tried to channel my perspective on the other side of the table with our sales team as well. The key thing for me and my organization is how do we help them be successful in winning either renewals, new contracts, new logos, as we like to call it for new clients. So some of that is sharing ideas with them and say, talk to the client. But I think the important thing for our sales team is to understand we want them to be successful. It's not that I want to be successful at delivering new solutions or innovation. I always say, I'm not here to win awards and there's some plaque that I'm the most innovative CTO in the country. I'm here to help my sales team win. And I think it's important that they understand that and that you demonstrate that. And that also ties to one of the things I said earlier is that you can't demonstrate that without speaking their language. So if you're talking, you know, performance and bits and bytes and AI and all those types of things, that's important. But hey, this is going to help you sell to the client or based on the feedback you shared with me of a concern or an idea they had, here's how we looked at it. We coupled it together with some other things. And we're going to bring it back to you to see if this can help you win. I think it's important that they understand that you're really on their side and that you want to help and you want to jump in. That's how I communicate with with my peers. And by the way, I could talk about this team. We've got some tremendous leaders on this team. And I'm particularly excited about the person we have leading our sales and go-to-market organization. And we have a great partnership. My team meets with her to talk exactly about these things. How can we do things with innovation? And what's interesting is Those conversations spark new partnerships because we were talking about one thing in architecture. They then said, hey, listen, as we're looking at the value of some of these solutions, maybe we should pull you in there. That only occurs if they feel like you're speaking their language and you understand where they're like. It's almost like you're talking to someone and they say, you know, you get me. That's what you need to do with salespeople. Uh, And they're in a hurry. They're under pressure. There's competition. So sometimes the owners of the work is on our side. We got to really work hard to understand their challenge. But that's how... I try to communicate with them, and I'm lucky to have a team of direct reports that, that reports to me that thinks the same way. So they sometimes represent me in working with some of our businesses. I have some of them assigned as a liaison in some of our business groups, so we're always in tune with what they're doing. I don't want to ever come to say, what's your strategy? What are you doing? Where do you want to go? And it's like July, and they say, well, where have you been? I want to be there along the way for the journey. Mm. So... You know, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. I mean, the, you know, these are all so important to leaders and companies these days. It's been important for so long and it's a challenge, right? Yes. It's a challenge to create diversity on teams, to maintain diversity on teams. What would you say that are specific challenges that you deal with and maybe have overcome when creating diversity or maintaining diversity 
And also there's, you don't hire every single person in your company. So you've got leaders that do the hiring. And so how do you make sure that again, at all levels, that they're hiring for diversity and making sure that they're paying attention to equity, inclusion, and belonging? That's a really good question. I got to tell you, I got a lot of passion around this one as well. This could be a separate talk for us. It could. It could be like another hour, right? You'll have to come back. (laughs) The one, as you can imagine, through my career, I've encountered some barriers with this along the way, but I've overcome them. But I would say where we are at Unisys and what we're doing as a leadership team regarding diversity, equity, and inclusion is everyone says they're serious about it and everyone says it's important to them. But I think the question is, are you intentional? And then are you taking actions that are sustainable? And do you have a commitment? And for Unisys, I would say check, check, check. So right now we're very intentional. And by the way, we're not where we want to be. We're clear about that. But we're intentional about this is what we want to do. And I myself have had roles. And I've told the recruiter or the internal recruiting person, I don't see enough of a diverse pool. There was one role I saw no, so I can't do this hire until I at least see some female candidates or candidates of color. I need to, the diverse pool helps the cream rise to the top. I've got other colleagues doing the same thing. But what I've experienced with many of the companies mentioned earlier is there's always this initial effort. It's either a knee-jerk reaction or they've looked at their numbers or there's been a report or something and they say, good gosh, this is not right. We got to get better. But then the effort loses steam over time. So intentional is one thing, but then it's got to be sustainable. We've taken steps regarding that. Diversity is a topic that our board wants to talk about frequently. And that speaks to the final thing, which is it takes commitment. So our CEO and our leadership team is committed to this. And a personal litmus test for me in terms of where a company stands as it relates to diversity and their commitment is when does it come up on the agenda? So if it comes up on the agenda before it's about to be presented or a report's about to be issued, that's kind of a normal course of action. But when it comes up to say, look, it's time to get an update on this because we think it's important or the CEO wants to talk about it just because he wants to know, then you know you're kind of committed and that gives you a chance at sustainability. So again, I've been here a year. We're very serious about it. Traction can be measured over time with where we are, but I we're 100% committed to it. And I am, and being a member of the leadership team And if you look at our leadership team, it's a diverse leadership team. If you look at our board, it's a very diverse board. So I think examples at the top start and then demonstrating it as you go forward. And again, being intentional, making sure it's sustainable and making sure you're really committed to it. And and that's what we're doing. Well said, well said. So you told me to remind you to talk about your, I guess, your first job out of college. Exactly. So it's kind of an ironic story. So coming out of college, the two final companies I was looking at was Marriott, which obviously is where I started. I started my career in technology there. But the other job was in sales with a company called Data General. Well, guess what? Data General got acquired by Burroughs. Burroughs merged with Sperry to create Unisys. So guess what? (laughs) I've now got the chance to pursue both the opportunities now. So come full circle. That's amazing. That exactly. is incredible how life works, right? And you know, Dwayne, I just I just keep hearing the themes of listening, understanding, really getting into someone's world and saying, I get you. And that's what people want right now, right? Meaningful. They want meaning. They want to know that they're valued and that they make a difference and that you that they have worth in a company. So this is just a fantastic conversation. I think that I want to listen to this over and over and take notes. I've learned a lot from you. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I think we should definitely do a follow-up. 
No, I thank you also. And it's interesting I, to build on what I said when someone says, you get me, guess what? Once you do that, our clients want that as well. They yes. want to say, good God, Unisys, you get me. You're yes. coming up with innovative ideas. You're coming up with things that observations you have in the marketplace. And that's where we want to go. So I also thank you for this time. I would tell you it's an exciting time at Unisys. Uh, we've got this alignment and strategy for a bright future. And it's going to drive differentiation, which keeps my enthusiasm level high. And I'm really passionate about this. So I thank you again for this opportunity and hope we get to do it again soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Dwayne. You take care. All right. Take care. Thank you for listening to another informative episode of 5G Talent Talk brought to you by RCR Wireless News, Telecom Careers, and Broadstaff Talent Solutions. As we advance into the future, we promise to bring you the resources you need to navigate this ever-changing landscape of 5G to help you attract, retain, and engage people in this new world of work. To access the show notes or leave a review, visit broadstaffglobal.com. Until next time.